All right. Good morning. My name is Christy Michelson, and I will be speaking this morning, but I don't have my classes. <laughs> How did I do that? Mm-hmm. Thanks. <clears throat> Our pastor and his family are in California having Christmas with our pastor's wife's family. I'm really nervous. I got this. The pastor asked me to give my testimony, which is much harder than uh, doing a message. It's easier. Scripture's way easier. And um, anyways, so I'm going to be doing that this morning. And I really struggled with it. We had, we've had some really hard things in the last four years happen. We've had a child pass away. We've had um, uh, daughters lose, uh, have miscarriages. All they want to do is have a child and, uh, and strokes, heart attacks. And I thought, well, what makes me qualified to come up here and tell people that I have faith? when things don't go how you think. But God is sovereign, and God is really in control, and he's not up there wringing his hands thinking, oh, how is this going to go? No, he has a plan. And all the hard things that we go through, they help us. They help us to grow. We have a choice every time it happens where we can say, I'm done, God. I, I'm, not, I'm not looking to you anymore. Or we can say, Lord, I'm just going to press in because there's nowhere else to go, Right? So, um, so anyways, so we're going to give it a try, see how this goes. I really need to pray first. So, Father God, I do, I just, I just come before you, I ask that you would have me speak the things you want me to speak and not worry about the things you uh, decide I don't need to speak and that I would hear you, Holy Spirit, come and do the things that please the Father. And move at this time. And I ask it in Jesus' name. And I thank you for it. Amen. Amen. So if I was to uh, give my whole life story, I'm really a walking miracle. If, for some people who know, have known me for a long time, I'm really a walking miracle. And so the scripture that I would use for a title would be out of uh, Ephesians 2. Um, and it would be... I think it's four and five, and it's but God, but God, but God, who is great in his great love for us, who is rich in mercy. He has shown me mercy. Verse five, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressors, transgressions. It is by grace I have been saved, each one of us. By his grace, I could not earn it. So I'm actually the youngest of five kids and uh, we grew up in Washington, and we actually had a lot of privileges. We um, lived right, right near Lake Washington. We swam all summer long. We sailed. We boated. And then in the wintertime, my parents loved to ski, so we skied in the wintertime. And I did not love it when I was young. I just remember being cold. <laughs> and... Uh, the only thing was there was always alcohol. When I was really young, I think my parents were really social drinkers. They did drink with all their friends and stuff. But as we grew, 
it continued on. In fact, I really actually don't remember a day that they didn't drink. And the last time I went to the home I grew up in, the Formica, Formica on the countertop, where they put their two glasses and their bottle of bourbon, the color was gone, right? They were just rings there. I just don't remember them not drinking. And uh, they tried pretty hard. Proverbs says, foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child, but the rod of discipline will chase it far from them. Well, they tried, but we were pretty rowdy, and we were left to ourselves a lot. So um, we definitely got into a lot of trouble. And as I said, as we grew older, they drank more. And um, Proverbs said, who has woe, who has sorrow, who has strife, who has complaints, those who linger long over mixed wine wasn't mixed wine they uh that wasn't their cup of tea but uh they drank every day and there was a lot of strife in our family there was a lot of fights there was a lot of really serious fighting and um there were times where we got along really well um and had a lot of fun and played but usually even got in trouble doing that and um and sometimes we were really creative in the way that we played uh i can remember being something like eight years old, and we had found a a stroller. And we were taking this stroller. It's eight, nine, maybe seven, seven, eight, nine. We were taking this stroller, and we were riding it down this really long hill. No brakes, no nothing, just go. So it's kind of a wonder. And I also remember my uh, brother I have, so all the brothers are older, and they're very inventive. And I have an older brother named Joe, who is pretty inventive, and my other brother, Jay, who is about five years younger, and I'm sitting in the living room with my mom, and my brother Joe is out there, and he takes a big old round, and he puts it in the middle of the yard, and then he takes like a two-by-six, and he puts it on that round right in the middle like a teeter-totter, and he gets a chair, and he puts my brother, who is slight in stature even then, and sets him on one end of that two-by-six, and he goes over to the other end of that two-by-six, and my brother shot up so high in the air, he went out of the view of the windows, right? My mom jumped up. He came down. He landed so hard, crawling around in a circle, trying to catch his breath. We were definitely uh, creative, sometimes in the wrong ways. So we also fought all the time, and when I was pretty young, I was seven, um, I was fighting with Jay, and he used a coat hanger to lock me in my room. And I thought, well, I'll get to him. I'll just go out the window, and I'll go across the roof. We had two dormers. He was in one side. I was in the other. And I was going to go across that roof, and I was going to go in his window and beat the tar out of him. And um, I got out on the roof, and I started to cross it. And the next-door neighbor saw me, and she called to me and she said Christy you should get down and I turned around to go back and it had been raining and the roof was slick and I got down really fast and I landed on a brick patio and ended up in the hospital for a little bit broke both my arms uh, busted my cheekbone busted my jaw and um, that was in the first year of second grade in the second year of second grade I really had problems and as Uh, Stan and I have walked through him having a stroke, which is a brain injury, and I've watched the things that they have done with him. I come to understand, oh, I had a brain injury. I couldn't track with my eyes, and I couldn't read, and I had to go to a special school. I had to go to the special ed school, 
right? I rode the short bus, which made me different than any of the kids in my family. It kind of, and it also makes you get teased a whole lot more. And I had a real problem with temper. I was very explosive, and um, so they had to put me on Ritalin. And so I was on Ritalin through those years, and still, we're still getting in trouble. We're still doing wrong things. Uh, as I got a little older, I became very proficient at shoplifting. And by the time I hit uh, junior high, I was already doing street drugs and uh, had uh, been shoplifting for quite a while. And I still couldn't read. I couldn't, I couldn't comprehend and I couldn't read. But God, who is rich in mercy, provided a uh, tutor for me. And I believe that she was a really strong Christian. And I believe this woman prayed for me all the time. And she got me to uh, found some kid books that were really, really fun and got me to start reading. And then she introduced me into the um, Narnia series, which I loved. I always want to know, who is Aslan? Who is this person? Anyways, um, so that helped my reading and comprehension tremendously. I was still doing street drugs. I was still involved in all sorts of wrong behaviors. Uh, We would break into cars. We would break into houses. Anyways, um, my drug use was getting worse. (laughs) And by the time I went to high school, um, still doing all that stuff, I started liking school because home was pretty chaotic by then. My parents drank a lot, and uh, teenagers fight anyway, so the fights were pretty horrendous with them. So we would try to avoid them. But I liked school because I knew what the teachers expected of me, and I could do most of it, and I could get good grades. And they were like friends. A lot of the teachers were like friends. And um, so in high school, I loved gymnastics and diving and swimming and all those things. Well, God, in his mercy, provided another Christian teacher for me who was my coach, and she was my PE teacher, and uh, she took an interest in me. And I was, uh, I struggled all the time with wanting to be loved. And um, she just would listen. And I can remember one time she gave me a hug, and I, I, it lasted for weeks. It was just wonderful. It lasted for weeks. Anyways, um, she gave me a living Bible and the uh, book by Dennis Bennett called 9 O'Clock in the Morning. And so I read that Bible because I loved her. Right? But I read it cover to cover, and the Living Bible, when those came out at that time, they had all these little helps in the front. Helps if you're sad, helps if you're depressed, helps if this, helps and, and salvation. So I would use those little helps and um, prayed for salvation at that time. And also at that time, a friend of mine and I sat on the bed and we prayed for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And God gave it to me, but I had no idea what it was, right? <laughs> We, we read the book. We had both read the book. We both wanted to speak in tongues. And so the Lord gave that to us, and we would speak in tongues, and this thing would well up in me, and it would freak me out, and I wouldn't do it. I was just like, I'm not doing that. For months, I wouldn't do it. And then I'd be laying in bed, and I'd start praying in tongues to see if it was still there, and this thing would well up, and I wouldn't do it. I didn't have any teaching. I didn't know what it was. I didn't have any understanding. So um, I graduated from school, and I worked at a restaurant um, in the local area, and there was a man at that restaurant who was struggling with his wife and had been for a long time, and we became friends, um, party friends, right? 
still doing all the drugs, still doing all the wrong stuff. And um, then we were, I didn't see him for a long time. And then we got back together and he said, you want to go to Oregon? I said, okay. So I didn't tell my parents anything. I wrote them a note. I was 19 years old. I just wrote them a note and said, gone to Oregon. That's, we were not uh, very close. <laughs> and we really struggled a lot. So I, we avoided each other a lot. Anyway, so I took off to Oregon with this man and uh, ended up pregnant with my first, uh, not too long after that. And he decided he would divorce his wife, and we got married, but it still was not um, a good thing. You know, the, the Proverbs said, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to destruction. And so, um, after... Uh, a while of being married, things were not going well, and partying was still happening, and so I pulled out that living Bible, and I started to read that living Bible again, and um, I lived in Cutler City, and if you live here on the coast and you don't have cable, you don't have anything, right? You don't, you don't have anything, and um, but I had this old, somebody gave me an old console stereo, you know, with a with this sliding top, and it had the turntable, and it had the radio right inside the top. And um, if that was against a certain wall in the house, I could pick up the Crystal Cathedral with Robert Schuller, and I could listen to Vernon McGee. And so I started listening to those. At the same time, I was still making really bad mistakes and doing a lot of wrong things, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, I'm outside playing with my kids with the neighbor people, and here comes Sue Cherry Holmes down the road, and she invites me to go to church, and uh, she said she'd come and pick me up, and so uh, I sent the kids for a couple weeks first because they were pretty young and I didn't want them to cling to me um, at church. So uh, finally I got, I, two weeks went by and then I got in the church and I went with her and now I was in fellowship and that was different. But these people were not like the people that I was hanging around and they weren't like my family. They weren't like, and I started to have anxiety, a lot of anxiety and um, though I had received Christ, I thought that I had to somehow earn it, that I had to be good enough or I had to um, somehow make up for all this trash in my background. And um, I took on a lot of jobs at the church. Um, I uh, started driving there, the church van and picking up people. I cleaned the church. I helped teach Sunday school. I helped with vacation Bible schools, but still this anxiety and this, I'm not measuring up, you're not good enough, is happening. And um, I started struggling with anorexia and bulimia. And at the same time, I started going to an aglow Bible study. Uh, somebody from the church invited me to go, and Doris Klein actually led the aglow Bible study. And I was pretty sure she could really see the real me and that. She was going to ask me to leave at any time. And uh, she never did. Praise God. She was so gracious to me. Um, but that started to help bring a little understanding. But I still got sicker and sicker. And when I got to a really small weight, 
um, like a size six or something. Um, I went to my pastors and I told them what was going on. I was very self-destructive. I had lots of suicidal imaginations. So I asked them to help me and they um, helped me get into a psychology ward in Portland, which I stayed in for a couple of weeks. And during that time, I prayed that the Lord would provide a Christian counselor. I didn't want a regular counselor because I felt like they would just say, um, my husband and I, everything was pretty awful. And they would just say, if I just leave him, I'd be okay. And I knew that wasn't the truth. And so um, while I was in the in that hospital, my husband, who was very angry at me because I didn't look sick, right? I was just skinny, and I didn't have anything broken, so he couldn't understand why I was there. Was called me on the phone. He was freaking out, and the kids were about to get off the bus at his house. So I called the... Um, I think I called the mental health department and I called every church that would answer their phone in Lincoln City and told them what was going on and all these people just converged on him and the one that he ended up speaking to was Betty and Tom Lilly at home and they were the pastors here at that time and um, so he was at home doing that and I was in this psychology ward learning that I was angry but I didn't feel angry. There was a lot of things going on that I didn't feel like I was, but they could tell me I was. And uh, once again, God in his mercy, what does he say? He says, I know the plans I have for you, and they are for good and not for evil to give you a future and a hope and your final outcome. So I just kept telling God, if you'll give me counselors that can help me, I'll do what they say. And so um, Betty Lilia Holm agreed to meet with me. And I would go to a counselor in Portland and kind of figure out what was going on, and I'd come back home, and I would uh, meet with Betty, and we'd pray through things. And um, the Bible says in the book of Acts, it says that they kept coming and confessing their deeds and their practices to the disciples. And that's kind of what it was, was I had a lot of background hurt, and uh, I'd been involved in things that had opened the door to demonics. And so uh, I would counsel, and then I'd come back, and we'd pray through those things, and whether I needed to forgive whether I needed to seek forgiveness, whether there needed to be a deliverance. They worked with me and walked me through those things, and um, which is amazing to me. That's all a miracle in itself. I was really a wreck. You just wouldn't, I just couldn't tell you how many things God did. In fact, one of my uh, things that God did was I never felt safe. I never felt like safe. When I was a kid, nothing was safe, you know. And one time I walked into the church and Pastor Tom just gave me a quick hug, but somehow my face fell in right here in the crook of his arm. And I was like six years old and it was safe. And it was just a second. It was just an adult hug, but it was just for a second. But it stayed with me. There's really safety. There's really safety. God provides safety. And that was huge to me. And he says, after he says, I know the plans I have for you for good and to give you a future and a hope, he says, then you'll pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. He's got such great things and my heart was so desperate and so dark. It was like, it was all or nothing. I, I really was all or nothing because I was so full of darkness and confusion so, um, and they really encouraged me, the pastors really encouraged me, be in the word, memorize the word, 
Be in the word, be in the word, be in the word. Why? Because you have so much junk going on in your head. If you don't replace it with something else, you're not going to get better. So finally, I started understanding a little more. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. Now that's amazing to me, that scripture has such a vast array that it covers so many areas. One of the scriptures that the Lord gave to me for the anorexia and the bulimia was, to all perfection there is a limit, but my word is boundless. I'm like, oh, there's a limit. I don't have to worry. And he started doing things to bring healing for that, that I wouldn't uh, be focused on the outside anymore, that I would allow him to work on the inside. Um, and uh, it definitely a long journey, but way back, isn't it amazing? Way back when I could do nothing to bring about health in my mind or in my life, Jesus had already prepared the way to come. And the place, when I would come to that place where I'd say 100%, no double-mindedness, not turning back. I can remember saying that to my husband at the time. And I remember looking at him and saying, I'm not turning back ever again. I'm not. I'm not going to sway for anything else ever again. And that doesn't mean I didn't struggle. I still struggled, but I was like, nope, it's Jesus Christ. That's, that's what it is. When we commit and give our lives over to Christ, he gives us the helper. I love the helper. The helper is the Holy Spirit. He comes to live in us and to help us learn and understand more of what Scripture is saying. The Old Testament in the book of Joel says, I will pour my spirit out on all people. That's, I'm an all. You all? We're all. Right? And John 3.11, John the Baptist said about Jesus, I baptize you with water for repentance of sin. But after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I love that. He gives us that fire. We want to talk about him. He's wonderful. God's not a respecter of person. Peter was talking to Cornelius. Cornelius was not a... I don't believe he was a Jew. He was a man that prayed often and gave alms. And the Lord sent an angel to him and told him to go get Peter in the book of Acts. And when Peter listened to his story, he said, Wow, God's not a respecter of persons. And that tells me whatever he does for people in the word or people that you know, he can do that for me. He's, he's so gracious to us. Yet he does, he does have conditions. He loves everybody. He loves all of his creation. But if we really want to draw near, if we really want to get into close fellowship with him, he has some conditions. What did it say in Romans 12:2? Not to be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind. How does that happen? That's exactly right. In Ephesians, in Ephesians uh, 5:26b, it says, "Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up." gave himself up for her to make her holy and cleansing, cleansing her by the washing of the water of the word. So the word has, it washes us. And when we stay in it and we keep making ourselves put it in, it washes us. It gives us hope. It moves our thinking. Titus 3, 4, and 5 says, But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things that we had done. Praise God. <laughs> But 
Because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing and the rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he generously pours out on us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Isn't that amazing? The Father wants so bad to have fellowship with us, but our sin keeps us separated. So what does he do? He sends his son, Jesus, who is the Father's word. What? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And this year during Christmas in um, O Come Let Us Adore Him, the line, word of the Father now in flesh appearing, just struck my heart over and over. There's Jesus Christ, right? He comes, and he lives the sinless life, or the life without sin, that none of us could live. And the Holy Spirit joins him when John baptizes him. Or at least that's when he's more manifest, because Jesus doesn't do any miracles before John baptizes him, and the Holy Spirit comes to him. It says, John said in Matthew 3.16, he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. So he lived the life that is to be our example. And what did he do? He went and he healed the sick. He raised the dead. He cast out demons. He, he made the blind to see and the lame to leap. Then he died on the cross and rose from the dead, paying the price for our sin. And then he releases the Holy Spirit to convict us of sin. What does it say? It says, the Holy Spirit convicts of sin and righteousness and judgment of sin because we don't believe him. So he comes and he convicts our hearts, right? And then when we finally yield and we finally come to Christ and we finally say yes, then Christ baptizes us and fills us with the Holy Ghost and changes us from the inside out. That's what God was doing. I was staying in the word and in fellowship with believers, willing to receive instruction, forgiving the hurts of the past and seeking the Lord's forgiveness. Healing was happening. So I want to point out here that there are miracles. A miracle is when something happens in instantaneously. Somebody's instantly restored or healed. And there are healings. I was healing. Healing, that word comes from the word therapeuo, and it's where we get the word therapy, right? Therapy is over time. So God was healing me. Through the word and praying, through the things that I had held on to my record of wrongs, however that looked. God was healing me, and it took time and a willingness to be real. Acts 19.18 says, Many also of them that believed came confessing and telling their deeds. The English Standard Version says, They came confessing and divulging their practices. I had a whole lot of practices that did not line up with the Word of God, but I didn't know it because I didn't know the word of God. And I also didn't have understanding because I hadn't had teaching. But now I was learning, oh, these programs I watch are not healthy for me. These books that I've read leave a lasting impression of something that doesn't line up with the word of God. So it was putting a lot of things aside. And I was still struggling once in a while with getting high. That was really hard to quit. And, um, but God, who is rich in mercy provided a situation for me. Um, I had uh, gotten high, and I had gone to the pastor's wife, Betty, and I had told her I would confessed, and we had prayed through it. But I had this picture of me asking Pastor Tom, 
uh, to forgive me. And I didn't like that. It would make me cry every time I saw it. We were praying through stuff. I would see that. I'd start crying. I'm like, I'm not going to cry. You can't make me cry. And uh, anyways, so eventually I said, did you tell Tom? And she said, no, you want me to go get him? No, <laughs> don't go get him. And finally I went up and I, um, they actually had a little upper sitting area and they just had a recliner up there. And he was in the recliner, so I, I knelt down on the floor. And uh, I said to him, my father wasn't somebody that I could ask forgiveness from. I said, and I know you care about me. And when I said, I know you care about me, God's love pierced my heart through with those words that somebody cared about me. And it just, I couldn't, I couldn't breathe. I couldn't talk. I was crying. It felt like forever. I'm sure it wasn't that long, but I was trying to gather myself. <laughs> and uh, finally, I asked, I just said, I got high last night, and I just really need you to forgive me. And, of course, he was really gracious. He waited through all that, and he forgave me. And when I got up, I thought, I get it. You love me, and I am not doing that. Never got high again. Never want to be in that place again. Never. Oh, my gosh. So... Yeah, never got high again. So, um, in John 3, 1, it says, Oh, what manner of love the Father has given unto us, that we should be called the children of God. And that's who we are. When we make that place where we say, absolutely, we are his children. So, as I became of a healthier mind and life, the pastors set me up with Stan Michelson. It was actually so wonderful. Anyways, um, so they kind of set us up, and um, we were at a church service, and he came to me, and he said, um, I really need to talk to you. And I said, well, I have kids to put to bed, so how about tomorrow? So we met for lunch the next day, which was Valentine's Day. And uh, he, we sat down, and he said, so how long do you think the pastors will make us wait? And I said, a year. <laughs> we were married in about six months. I would love to. <laughs> yes, it's good. It was good. It's still good, miraculously. Anyways, but we put six kids together. There's really seven kids, but one was grown and out of the house. So now we combined the six kids, and I wish I could say uh, we lived happily ever after. <laughs> but now there are all sorts of crazy new dynamics going on. But God, who is rich in his mercy, even before we married, established that Stan and I did devotions. And um, so... Even before we married, we would call each other, we would read Proverbs to each other, and we would pray for a half an hour every morning. So by the time we got married, we still did that every morning. We still do that every morning. But that gave us a place of connection and focusing on God before we started our day in this chaos we have created for ourselves. And um, it, was, it was definitely very hard. Uh, there were, Debbie would tell you there would be times where we'd be bickering and I just say we got to stop we got to stop and pray we just got to stop and pray and um, there were lots of really fun times we had a gas with a 
going on trips in a van looking like uh, we were living in this van. Because <laughs> when you have that many kids, you just take everything. And camping with Stan, you just take everything. So, um, so that was a lot of fun, a lot of bonding time. And um, God is so gracious because he never leaves us and forsakes us. But Stan and I have been through, through some really hard things and in 2000 and... One. When did 9-11 happen? 2001. Yeah? Our, uh, one of our daughters had a reaction to a medication. You know how they put on the back that, those instructions that say uh, one out of every 10,000 or 100,000 people may have this reaction. Well, she had that reaction, and she had it quite a few times, and uh, it put her, well, they thought that she would probably die when we first went to see her and she lasted 24 hours and they sent her up to OSHU and she was in and out of ICU so many times and um, it left her severely disabled. She was in a wheelchair and she was too fed and um, we actually, uh, God did miracles even in that. That was such a miracle. So I was doing lessons here at the pool. I worked at the pool for a long, long time and there was a doctor's wife son who I was doing private lessons with, Dr. Bob Oxenholt. And uh, I told her I wouldn't be able to do any more. And I told her what had happened. And she was emergency room nurse. And as soon as I said rhabdomyalgia, she knew what that was. And she and her husband got together and they met us at OSHU. And they took us to their house in Beaverton and said, you stay here. Don't stay at the hospital. You are in for a really long journey, and so you stay here. So uh, we lived in their house off and on throughout that whole summer, and um, our daughter was in the hospital uh, from August until February. So quite a while. And then she got moved to a home, and um, homes, that was hard. Too. And we prayed and we prayed for her healing, and we didn't see the healing that we desired, but we did see healings that happened. And um, really grateful. And she passed away four years ago, which was also very hard. But I saw at that time that God is sovereign. I just really, God is so miraculous and so sovereign. And we were uh, at a conference in Portland when it happened, and we had uh, the conference was called. Do you remember what it was called? Experiencing God. And um, Saturday morning we were at the conference. It hadn't started yet. And I got a message on my phone that Jesse had had a medical event and that we needed to go to the Adventist hospital, which was not very far away, which was good. So we went to the hospital. And when Stan and I walked in to see Jesse, we knew she wasn't there. We'd seen her in the hospital lots of times. She wasn't in the body. And um, we talked to the doctors, and they um, explained some things to us, and they said that what they would like to try to do is bring her temperature down low, and then they bring it back up really slowly, and sometimes that can start the nervous system again. But with Jesse, it didn't work. And um, three days later, we went and took her off a life support and um, a body breathes for a certain amount of time. And we had been there for a long time. 
and uh, went out to use a bathroom, and Stan and I prayed, and I said, Lord, it's, it's okay, you can come and get her. And I walked back in, and one of our other, other daughters says, she's here. And we walked over, and she was there. God is sovereign. God can do what God wants to do. And uh, I just said, Jesse, it's okay, your battle's over. And uh, she, her chin quivered, and a tear went down her cheek, and she exhaled. And there was total peace on her face. She had a, the damage from the rhabdomyalgia had always made her face very tight, but there was total peace on her face. And God gave me a lot of peace about it. So even though it's really hard, and there's days where I cry a lot, <laughs> but uh, he is very gracious And what I would say is, God doesn't give up on us. God is faithful no matter what. My testimony is that he doesn't quit and that he wants us to know his word. He wants us to know him. It says in Colossians 1 that he wants to fill us with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that we can live a life worthy of the Lord, pleasing him in every way and bearing fruit in every good work. And that comes through us being in the word. It also comes through what it says in Second Peter. It says he gives us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. He called us. Why? So that through his very great and precious promises, we can escape the corruption that's in the world by lust. So is there a lot of corruption in our world today? It's, it's, really, it's really escalating a lot and moving a lot. And we get to remember daily that Lamentations 3.21 says, This I recall to mind, therefore I have hope, that through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed. Because of his compassions, they fail not. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion. My soul, therefore, has hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to those whose soul seeks him. Our spirit automatically seeks the Lord. But our soul is that mind, will, and emotion that says, I'd rather watch football, right? So we have to make that effort in our soul to move towards the word, to move towards quiet. And quiet is really hard to do nowadays. We got those phones in front of our faces. Our kids can message us in an instant. We can get all sorts of information coming on. It's really hard to turn all that stuff off. But he's, he doesn't like multitasking. He wants us focused here with him when we come to him and come to his word. He doesn't want all the distractions. In 2 Corinthians 6.2, it says, For he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. If there's somebody in here that hasn't said 100%, I encourage you. Now's the time. The days are growing darker. Our light needs to shine brighter, right? It says... When we come into him and we begin to allow him to change our life, there's, there's a certain amount of condemnation that wants to follow behind us everywhere we go. But in Romans 8, 1 and 2, it says, For there is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh or the soul, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has freed me from the law of sin and death. Now, there's a little paraphrase I can put in here where it says, 
Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life. That's the forgiveness of our sins. The healing of the broken heart of bitterness. In Christ Jesus sets me free from the law of sin and death. Falling short of his standard and knowing it. Knowing it. So that he wants to bring us to that understanding over and over. And it's daily. Like, I'm not done confessing sin yet, right? There's stuff that happens all the time that says, oh, man, that was really arrogant. God, I just ask your forgiveness. I have to come before him often. But what does he say about us? He says, we are a chosen generation. We're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness. I was in darkness. And into his marvelous light. We become people of light. Yes. He, he calls us right into the holiest of holies. He calls us right into his presence. He says, therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus and a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from uh, evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. It's him. He faithfully does it. He's faithful in the hard things and gives us the ability to do what we can't do and to hang in there and to go through hard things. He's there. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge our conscience of dead works to serve the living God? He wants our works to be full of life. And he wants to help us get rid of those dead works we thought we had to do. He is very gracious in that. Why did he do that? And how did he do that? Well, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And having disarmed the principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them through it. So we know that though we walk in the flesh, we war not after the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are mighty through God, pulling down strongholds and vain imaginations that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. Those powers and principalities always want to keep us low, but he wants us to stand in him. Where's the place to do that? Well, sometimes it's on your knees, right? But he has delivered us from the darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of sins. It's for all of us. He gives it to all of us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again into a living hope. It's alive. It's living. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. I have extra treasure reserved in heaven for me. Her name is Jessie, and that's where she is. 
but I have an inheritance incorruptible. When David lost one of his children because of his foolish behavior, he said, I shall no longer bring him to me, but I shall go to him. And I have that same thing. I shall see her again because she believed and I believe. Yes. So what does he say? It's a lifelong journey. And God says, Are you, if you're struggling with something, ask him. Because he says, repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. He sees when we struggle, and he wants us to come to him with those struggles, to come to him with those things that are bothering us, and to spend that time before him. He will refresh us. In Colossians 3, 15 through 17, it says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful, and let the word of Christ dwell within you richly, with all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants to empower us to do the things that we can't do. He tells us in Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God, and I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand, even in loss. And when my daughter passed away, I could kneel at the end of my bed, and I could say, Thank you, God. You are my comforter. And you will walk me through this. And you have me by your righteous right hand. Jesus is, uh, gives opportunity all the time for us to, become, to come before him. And, and you can ask for Holy Spirit. You can ask for fresh Holy Spirit every day. You can say, every day you can say, fill me up anew. And he does. Because he lives in us. And he comes upon us. And he goes with us. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that you might know the things that you have been freely given by God. And it isn't our sufficiency. There's no way I could come up here. I had numerous tantrums all week (laughs) about this. But it's not that we're sufficient of ourselves, thinking of anything as being from ourselves. But our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, because the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. 2 Corinthians 3, 5. See, to be in Christ prepares me for heaven. Christ in me faces Satan and the obstacles here on earth. Christ gave up his righteousness and power that I may receive it here in his name. Christ took off. Paul says, put on Christ. I stand in his name telling the world, here's what God's like. And Christ stands before the Father and says, this is what Christy is like. I stand before man and I declare the Lord's forgiveness and righteousness. And Christ stands before the Father and declares that my sin, and says she is forgiven by his blood. And who is God? Who is Christ? He's pretty big. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form, and we are made complete in him. He is the head over all rule and authority. In 
in, um, let's see if I can find this. For people who uh, are around me off and on, they know I'm kind of loud. This is out of the Amplified Bible. I really like it. It's kind of loud. But Christ, now he is the exact likeness of the unseen God, the visible representation of the invisible. He is the firstborn of all creation. For it is, for it was in him all things were created in heaven and on earth, things seen and unseen, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things are created and exist through him by his service and his intervention and in him and for him. It also says in Hebrews 1, Hebrews 1, 3, he is the sole expression of the glory of God, the light being, the out reign or radiance of the divine. He is the perfect imprint and very image of God's nature, upholding and maintaining and guiding and propelling the universe by his mighty word of power. He is God, and he lives in us and abides in us. And he encourages us. He says, as my Father sent me, so I send you. So he encourages us to go and change the world for his sake. And he has changed my life. I know that I'm a walking miracle, and I get opportunity to share with people. And I'm always excited when I do. And um, I just would like to encourage anybody here. If there is really anybody here who has not made that 100% and said, absolutely, 100%, I want Jesus Christ, then I would encourage you to come up and pray with somebody after we're done. Um, but now, uh, and what a neat thing to have today is communion. If it were not for the body and the blood, I would not be here. He saved my life to save my life. And um, Chuck Cherry Holmes will be coming up and doing the communion.